Well, awesome. If I haven't got to meet you yet, my name is Matt Cordova. I get to, I'm the youth pastor here at the city, man. We have an awesome youth group, a lot of kids that are just really on fire for Jesus. And uh, to be honest, I'm excited uh, to continue in this Advent series. We started this Advent series last week. And um, I don't know if you guys got the, the Advent blocks. We've been doing the Advent blocks with our boys it has been amazing, like getting to read these stories with our kids. They're, it's actually following right in hand with where we are in our preaching series. So I hope that you've been keeping up with that. If not, it's a great opportunity, a great time to catch up. Our focus in this series is God's presence. Now I want to ask this question. If we're going to be all, if we're going to be completely honest, like have there been times in your life where God has felt far or God has felt quiet, silent, or, or maybe even felt absent. I think, I think we've all gone through that, right? Where you're like, God, where are you? God, how come you're not speaking? God, how come it feels like you're f so far away? And the truth is that is a lie that the enemy wants you to believe. The enemy wants you to believe that God has left, that God has turned his back, that God's just like, you know what? I've wiped the slate clean. I'm done with you. That is not true. And it's why I love this series so much. If, if, if I could define the Bible, if I could describe the entire Bible in one sentence, it, it would be this, that God wants to be with his people. And that's what this whole series is about. It's about God wanting to be close uh, to his people. It's evident that he wants to be close and that he is. So Christmas is a reminder to us that God wants to be with us, right? And our prayer as a church is that we would be a people that, that earnestly desire his presence. Because in his presence, that's where we find hope. That's where we find joy. That's where we find peace. And that's where we find love. And if we're going to be completely honest, it's actually what we desire the most, right? We desire God's presence. And it's also what we're most thankful for. God, we're thankful that you're in us, that you're with us. It's why our big idea is our big idea. Our big idea of the series is this. Our soul longs for presence, not presence. I feel like I repeated myself, but spelling really matters. Our, our soul longs for presence, not presence. Today, we're going to see two very big reasons why this is true. I think in the today's story, we all fit one or both categories of what we're going to talk about. If you've got a Bible, open it up to 2 Samuel chapter 12. Uh, the notes are in our app. If you don't have our app, it's a great time to download that. Go to your app store, type in the City Church Lubbock. You can follow along, look at verses. There's fill in the blanks. If you don't, uh, the notes are going to be up on the Sky Bible. That's what I call this big wall behind me because usually the verses are above my head. So you have to look up if you're going to see them. Um, we say this, note takers are world changers, right? If you want to remember something, write it down. You know what I mean? In that our goal, like we gather here to be encouraged, to be inspired. The Bible tells us that the devil wants to pluck the word out, right? In the parable of the story, he wants to take the word out before it can ever harvest or produce, a, uh, produce anything in our lives. So if you want to remember it, write it down. You want to remember it even more, tell somebody about it, right? So... First, Second Samuel chapter 12, here's some background. We're going to focus on uh, a couple central characters. The first one is a big one, right? We all know this guy. Everybody, anybody heard of King David? Come on, we're talking about King David, the giant slayer. We're talking about King David, a man after God's own heart. And what we're going to learn about David today is David wasn't actually perfect. David wasn't perfect. David actually makes a terrible decision that doesn't just affect him, but greatly hurts someone else. So 2 Samuel chapter 12, 
Verse 13, this is how it reads. Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you and you won't die for this sin. Here's what I want to talk about today. God's presence for sinners and for sufferers. God's presence for sinners and for sufferers. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, just, man, just thank you for the opportunity that we can all dive into your word together. God, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would invade our heart, would challenge us, um, would comfort us, and draw us closer to you. God, it's in your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. Ha- have you noticed, like, when you say certain words, like, certain, like our minds go to certain things? You know what I mean? Like, let me give you an example. When I say Christmas, like, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Like, for some of y'all, it's like a Christmas tree. Maybe it's six pounds, seven ounce baby Jesus. You know what I mean? Maybe it's uh, Christmas presents. Maybe it's Santa. Or maybe it's the 25 days of Hallmark movies that you have to watch all, like, throughout the Christmas season. You know what I mean? When I say Christmas, that's what comes to mind. What about Thanksgiving. For some of us, it's like family. For some of us, it's turkey and stuffing or it's football or what I like to call post-meal stretching, which is just a long-term for taking a nap. You know what I mean? Like, you know, when I talk about Thanksgiving, those are the things that come to mind. Here's a question I want to ask. What if there are words that we haven't grasped the full meaning of or maybe, maybe have the wrong definition of? For example, what, what comes to mind when I say peace? For most of us, When we talk about peace, what we think of is like absence of conflict, right? When we talk about peace, like we pray for peace, we're like, God, what I'm really asking you for is for there to be no conflict in my life. Like all turbulence is gone. But when you look at the Bible, that's actually not what the Bible means when it talks about peace. The Hebrew word for peace is the word shalom. Everybody say shalom. You're bilingual now. Way to go. No, (laughs) Uh, it's the word shalom. This is what shalom means. It means to make complete or to restore. Very different from our Americanized definition. In fact, if I could give you a picture, it would be like, imagine that there was this stone wall that was built and and something had demolished or kind of broken a, a hole in this stone wall. So we put it back together. The moment that we put that last stone into the stone wall and the wall is complete, it now has shalom. It is complete. It is restored. Now, put that in perspective of Jesus known as the Prince of Peace. He's the Prince who brings restoration. He's the Prince who brings completeness. He's the Prince who brings wholeness, right? That's what peace means in the Bible. Uh, What about salvation? When we talk about salvation, most of us just think about like, hey, forgiveness of sins. But the Bible has a very different definition for it. In the Bible, it's the Greek word sozo. Everybody say sozo. Now you're trilingual. There you go. No, sozo means this, wholeness or restoration. Wholeness. So let me, let me give you another image, right? Imagine that a pipe busts at your house. It's, it's about to get cold season, right? You forgot to open up your cabinets. You forgot to turn your heater on. A pipe busts at your house. And you know that when that pipe busts, what happens? The drywall gets messed up. The paint gets messed up. The floor is all covered in water. And on top of that, the pipe is still busted. I mean, it's broken, right? So question, if you just fix the pipe, is everything taken care of? Is the house whole? Is the house complete? Is it restored? No. The whole point of addressing the problem is to get the house back to where life can happen, right? So it's like we're fixing the pipe. 
We're cleaning the floors. We're redoing the drywall. We're retexturing the the paint uh, the wall and putting paint on it. It's about getting the house to wholeness, completeness, and restoration. Listen, that's what God's presence in our life does. God's presence in our life is to get us back to wholeness, completeness, and restoration. The, the reality is this. You can't be whole without God. Many of us are looking for wholeness. We're looking for purpose. We're looking for all of these things that we look for it in money and our occupation and relationships and all that other stuff. There's only one place that you find wholeness and completeness and restoration. It's in Jesus. You know what I mean? That's what God's presence in our life does is it takes us to those places. So today's story has two major characters. It's got David and a woman named Bathsheba. And both of them experience God's sozo, God's salvation, in very different ways. Now, we often look at David in a bright light, right? I mean, listen, he brought down a 10-foot giant with a slingshot. Come on, I mean, anybody out there practicing throwing at 10-foot goals with a slingshot today? No. You know what I mean? He brings down, he's known as the giant slayer. He's known as a man after God's own heart. But today, he's not the hero. Today, he's actually a villain with a victim. He's a villain with a victim, Story starts in 2 Samuel chapter 11. This is how it reads in verse 1. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight, uh, to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of his palace. And as he looked over the city, out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent somebody out to see who she was, and he was told, She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period. Then she returned home later. When Bathsheba discovered she was pregnant, she sent a message to David saying, I'm pregnant. Can you imagine getting that letter? Oh, man. <laughs> so before we dive into this, let me give you some context. Um, it's talked about it being springtime when people go out to war. The, back in that time period, it was like baseball season or football season, right? We have a time of year when baseball happens. We have a time of year when football happens. You can tell when football happens because Cowboys are like, it's our year. Cowboys fans are like, it's our year, right? All right, it's almost football season. You know what I mean? It was, it was wartime. And I'm gonna be honest with you, when I first, like, when I read this text, I was like, well, David messed up because he was out of place. He says, because it says, at this time when kings are usually out to war, what I learned is that's not necessarily true. If, uh, if they were going to go to battle and they knew it was going to be an easy victory, the king didn't necessarily have to go. So the king would stay behind. So David's actually not in the wrong at the start of this story. When it says that kings usually go out to war, David's not actually in the wrong at the start of this story. So questions that I've always had is like, why is Bathsheba taking a bath outside? I mean, like, let's be real. Why is she taking a bath outside? Like, is she trying to catch the king's eye? Is she, is she trying to Delilah David, you know what I mean? Like, trying to woo him in so she can have upper status. And here's what I've learned. Ted Cabal writes in his commentary that ancient Israelite homes had no indoor plumbing or bathtub. So ritual washings would regularly be done outside, perhaps in the private courtyard of a house or near a public water supply. So did Bathsheba do anything wrong? No, actually... She's following God. She's doing what the law requires. She's doing her purification rites after 
a certain time period in a woman's life. <laughs> we'll just say it that way. You know, she did, she's literally doing nothing wrong. So here's what's going on. Here's the scene. We know why she's outside. Now, why, does Dave, why is David in a position where he can see her? Well, he's the king. His palace would have been on top of the tallest hill. So he would have been able to see out all over the entire town. So David sees her and he responds. Now, here's what we know about Bathsheba. One, I think it's interesting that her name is Bathsheba and she's taking a bath. I'm just, that's how I read the Bible. Don't judge me. It's okay. Uh, two, we know that in David's eyes, she was very attractive. Like she was, she, she was, if we were to speak in modern terms, hot. Okay, you know what I mean? Like he, she, she catches the king's eye. But three, and this is an important detail, she's already married. She's married to a man named Uriah. And here's what you need to know about Uriah. Later on in 2 Samuel, there's a list of mighty warriors that serve the king. Uriah is on that list. What does that mean? Uriah was extremely loyal to David and served David and fought for David. So here's how the story goes. David's on top of the roof. He sees her and he has somebody bring her in. And he uses his position and his power to force her to sleep with him. And now she's pregnant. She's pregnant. So now David, knowing that he sinned, is going to do everything that he can to try to cover it up. One thing I think we're going to see this morning is how well this story parallels with Adam and Eve in the garden. Because isn't that what they did? Right? Everything was great. They, had, they, they were in God's presence. They walked with him in the cool of the night. They had one law. Hey, don't eat from this tree. And when, as soon as they did, what did they try to do? They hid from God and they tried to cover themselves up. What do we do when we sin? Oftentimes we hide and we try to cover. Uh, we used to do this thing when I was leading in Panhandle. We kept a running list of like when we saw, we called it a roster, right? We would keep a running list of, hey, did you see so-and-so? Did you see so-and-so? Did you see so-and-so this Sunday? And if they missed three or more weeks, what we learned is they weren't often mad at the church. Something was going on in their life. And they were, they were, their, their marriage was rough or they had been struggling with something and, and all this other stuff. Well, a lot of times when something's going wrong, what do we do? We hide. We hide. We try to cover it up. So this is how David tries to cover it up. Uriah is at war right now, right? They were at war. The king stayed home. So he calls him home and this is what he does. He tries to set up a candlelight dinner for him and Bathsheba. He tries to get them set up, create this romantic moment. Here's the reason why. Because if Uriah sleeps with his wife, then they could be like, oh, Uriah's the dad. Congratulations. There's a baby shower later on. You know what I mean? Like he tries to manipulate the situation to make it look like Uriah is the dad. But Uriah is extremely loyal to David and he's extremely loyal to Israel. So instead of staying at home, Uriah sleeps by the palace. And they're like, hey, what are you doing, man? Like you could have been like staying at home. And this is what he says. He says, how can I enjoy the luxuries of home, including my wife? How can I enjoy the luxuries of home, including Bathsheba, while our comrades are at battle? Failed attempt number one. So David does this. He's like, all right, I'll send you back to war tomorrow. And then before he does that, he gets Uriah drunk, hoping that Uriah will sleep with his wife. Same, plan, same kind of end goal, different strategy, but Uriah does what he did the first time. He sleeps by the palace. So failed attempt number two. I want you to notice for a second how the hole keeps getting deeper. Because that's how sin works. Right? 
We convince ourselves of, if I do it this one time, it won't really hurt anybody. It's like nobody will know. What it ends up becoming is a trap. Paul says it this way. He's like, if you like serve sin, don't be surprised if you become a slave to it. So what's happening? David's becoming a slave to it. It's drawing him deeper and deeper. He forces himself to sleep with, the, with Bathsheba. He gets her pregnant. Now he tries to manipulate Uriah. He gets him drunk. So here's the next plan. Hey, I'm going to put Uriah at the front of the battlefield. Why? Because I know he won't make it out. What, is, what do you call it if you strategically put somebody in a position where they're not going to survive? Murder. Murder. Hold on. We're still talking about David, like the giant slayer. We're still talking about the one who's a man after God's own heart. He, 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 he murders Uriah. Do you see the list stacking up? And then when Bathsheba hears about it, the Bible says that she mourns. And after her mourning period, David marries her. You're like, come on, at least he did something right. No, 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 no. Remember, David's still trying to cover everything up. There's two reasons why David would marry her. One, to make the the baby look legitimate. Two, to give the appearance that David takes care of people that are loyal to him. Oh, Uriah was one of my mighty men. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take his wife in so that everybody knows that I, I take care of those who, are, who serve me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take care of those who are loyal to me. The reality is all of it was deception to cover up his sin. Like all of that was deception to cover up his selfishness. So here's the running list. Biblical scholars believe Bathsheba was forced to sleep with the king. That's rape. Manipulation murder, and deceit. Why? All because he wanted her. We, we have a conversation with Bradley all the time about how our decisions are always bigger than ourselves. Listen, I, 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 I was sitting down and I was trying to think about it. I don't think there's a single decision that you can make that, that doesn't affect somebody else. You know I mean? The conversation that we have with him is like, hey, when you do this, this is how it affects your brother. Bradley loves team sports. Hey, when you're selfish, this is how it affects your teams. Hey, when you're selfish, this is how it affects mom and dad. Like every decision that we make in our life like affects somebody else. And that's what's going on. David made a selfish decision. He wanted her even though he knew it was wrong. Even though he knew it wasn't God's way. And that's realistically, like I said, it parallels back to the garden. That's what happened in the garden, right? In the garden, oh, I, I, I kind of love this image of defining sin, right? In the garden, um, before like evil and sin introduced the world, who defines good? God. He creates, and at the end of each day, he says what? This is good. This is good. This is good. After he makes Adam and Eve, he says this is very good. So the one who defines good was God. And he tells them, hey, don't eat from this tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and because if you do, you'll surely die, right? Which would have, like that would end up happening. They would be separated from God. So here's the choice. I can trust what God says is good or I can seize and define what's good for myself. Isn't that what majority of sin happens? Hey God, you say this, but I really want to do this. Or this feels good in the moment. Or this benefits me. Have you noticed like it's all about self? 
right? It's all about self. Eve, this is what happens. She saw the tree. And if you look at the Bible, it says like it was beautiful. It was good for eating. Like she didn't see the bad side of anything about the tree. It all looks good. Sin always technically looks good. It always seems more fun. It always seems more beneficial. She saw how good it looked. She took and she ate. The reality though, if we can be like insert ourselves in this story, we're all a villain at some point. You know what I mean? We've all sinned. The Bible says we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. I think the question we need to ask is why? I like what John Mark Comer says. I'm reading his book called Live No Lies, and he says this. He says, we sin because we believe a lie about what will make us happy. We sin because we believe a lie about what will make us We believe the lie that what I choose is greater than what God chooses. Which is funny because when somebody is struggling, what the very first thing is like, God's got a plan for you, man. His ways are higher than our ways. You mean God is with you? God is for you. And then when it comes to making our own decision, we choose our way. You know what I mean? David believed the lie that taking Bathsheba would make him happy. Uh, if you read Psalms 51, which is what he wrote after this was kind of brought up, you'll see it was it didn't make him happier. It made it harder and harder for him to cover up. So chapter 11 ends this way by saying that God was displeased with David. So let's go to chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse one says this. So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. But the poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He raised that little lamb and it grew up with his children. It ate with the, uh, from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. And one day, a guest arrived at his home. Uh, one day, a guest arrived at the home of the rich man. But instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. Now, David hears this story and the Bible says he's furious. Like his response to this rich man stealing this one lamb from this poor man was like, hey, that guy deserves to die. Like he, you, oh, he's ticked, man. He is fired up. That guy deserves to die. In fact, he should repay four times for the one that he stole. I want you to look at Nathan's response in verse seven. It says this, then Nathan said to David, you are that man. The guy that you're pronouncing death over, you're him. The one, the rich man who had everything and took from somebody that was poor, that had one thing, you're that guy. Come on, isn't it easier for us to judge somebody else? You know what I mean? Like looking down the road, oh, that takes all the weight off of us. Oh man, I can't, I'm so glad I'm not them. At least I don't, at least I'm not going through what they're going through. Well, they deserve that. They had it coming. This was the decision. They, they, like, it's easy for us to look down the road, but David didn't know he's pronouncing judgment on himself. You know what I mean? He hears this story. He's like, that guy deserves to die. You, can I tell you something, though? I think we all need a Nathan in our life. You know what I mean? We all need somebody. Oh, man. Uh, so one of our favorite things to do is we love doing premarital counseling. I love, like, anything with marriage is just so fun. And you know what I mean? And this is what we tell people is like, hey, when you're married, you're going to fight. If you've been married for any amount of time, you're like, amen. You know what I mean? <laughs> you're going to fight. You're going to butt heads. The reality is sometimes you see things differently. You want the same end goal. 
But a lot of times you just see a different route how to get there. And what we tell people is like, hey, you need guy, you need a dude in your life that when you go and vent to him, he's going to look you in the face and say, hey, bro, you're wrong. You need to go apologize to your wife. You know what I mean? We need that, that, that person in our life. And we tell, hey, girl, he's going to make you mad. He's going to forget to put his underwear in the laundry bag. He's going to forget to do the day. He's going to forget to do the thing that you asked him a million times to do. And you're going to go vent to somebody. And you can either have somebody in your corner that fuels your fire or tells you, hey, you're wrong. You need to go apologize to your husband. The reality we need somebody in our life that tells us, hey, what you're doing is not what God's calling you to do. And you need to turn back around. Oh, I think we all love the idea of accountability. Like the, we all want an accountability partner until they hold us accountable. You know what I mean? Like if, if we're going to be completely honest, we want an accountability because we want them to cheer us on when we're doing things good but we want them to agree with us even though we know what we're doing is wrong. If we're going to be completely honest. Or we don't tell them because we don't want them to call us out. But the reality is if we're going to grow in our faith, one, you can't chase, like you're not going to grow if you're trying to do it all by yourself. In fact, you're most vulnerable to the enemy when you're by yourself. Where was David? On the palace, by himself. You understand that? Like we need each other, which is why I value like that our church values groups so much. You want to grow, get surrounded by people and then learn to trust them. It's why the Bible tells us to, to, to confess our sins to one another. It's not so that other people will judge you. It's so that they can walk alongside you to walk, to, to help you become free from that. Do you understand that? To help you become Free from that. We all need a Nathan in our life. See, all Nathan did was call out David's blind spot. <laughs> all Nathan did was bring to light the thing that David was trying to cover up. But this is where Sozo shows up. Remember, Sozo means salvation because it's God's presence. Uh, God's presence provides forgiveness for the sinner. God's presence provides. Nathan shows up, and this is David's immediate response is, I've sinned. Nathan, I acknowledge that what you say is true. Like what you're saying is right. Like I've sinned against a holy God. I have chosen my way over God's way. And I love this because in Psalms 51, I told you he wrote this right after this kind of moment with Nathan. This is David's prayer. God, don't take your presence from me. God, don't remove your Holy Spirit from me. Even David knew that it was all about God's presence being with us. Like that was the most important thing to God. Take my sin, make me white as snow, but God, don't leave me. Don't, don't remove your Holy Spirit from me. God, stay with me, please stay with me. And Nathan says this, he said, man, God's forgiven you. That's what happens when you turn back to God. You know what that, that's what repent means, right? I, I think there's a lot of times like these Christian words that we hear and we have a negative connection with them because we think of like street preachers, like, hey, you gotta repent. You just Like we have this image of just somebody shouting, shouting and shouting and beating us down with it. Repent means to change your direction or to change your mind. 
So what does that look like for David? I'm choosing my way, but because you brought to light that my way was sin, I'm turning back to the King of Kings. And that's what, that's what Jesus is telling us to do. He's like, there's forgiveness for those who repent, right? For those who turn back to God. And when we repent, God forgives us. And that's the presence. Realistically, that's the presence that we're celebrating at Advent, right? It was his presence coming to dwell with us, right? To come and pave a way for us to be right with God, for us to have shalom with God, for us to experience sozo with God. And that when we believe in Jesus and turn back to God, what does the Bible say? We're forgiven and his presence dwells inside of us. And his presence dwells inside of us that we're restored to right standing. And for some of you, maybe that's the decision that you need to make this morning. It's like, man, I feel like God is far. I feel like God is absent. I've been running away. I'm running away. Listen, I'm telling you, there is a holy God who made everything, formed you, was intentional in making you, has a plan for your life and sent his son to die for you so that you could be right with him. And the Bible says if you confess with your, with your heart and believe with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. If that's you, there's a connection card in the chair right in front of you. Fill that out. Check the box. I gave my life to Jesus. We want to celebrate. Listen, heaven goes crazy if one person does. We want to join that celebration. You know I mean? But that's what happens. Like David repents and he experiences God's forgiveness. But sozo, salvation, isn't just for those who sin. See, God's presence also provides healing for the sufferer. God's presence provides healing for the sufferer. Usually, we only focus on David in this story. And if we're going to be completely honest, um, I think there's comfort in knowing that God forgives David. You know what I mean? I mean, it's the gospel. Man messed up. Man turned back to God confessed it, and God forgives him, right? There's comfort in that. But what about Bathsheba? What about her story? In 2 Samuel 11, verse 26, it says this, that when Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. I want to ask you guys to to get real with me for a second. Because a lot of times what ends up happening is with verses like this is we try to oversimplify people's story. David wrecked her world. David wrecked her her world. Like, who's she going to tell? You mean like everybody loves King David. In fact, that's what drove Saul crazy. Saul was jealous of King David because David, everybody loved David. So he was somebody that was supposed to be trusted. And and if she says anything, who's going to believe her? I mean, you're just, you're just fabricating this to make the king look bad. You're doing this. You're just making the story to make the king look bad. She was taken advantage of by somebody with a higher role or position, and then she's forced to act like nothing happened. She's, she's just supposed to go about her day. Every time she sees him, she's probably anxious or afraid. Why? Because he's used his power in the past. So maybe every time he walks the halls of the palace, she's like, hey, what's he going to make me do today? Is he going to do it again? I mean, what's he going to force me to do this time? Every time she sees him, she's reminded of how she used to have a husband who loved her and that she loved. And the king had him murdered 
for the sole purpose of protecting himself. Maybe there's potential and hatred and resentment building up inside of her because she knew that Uriah was loyal to the king. He's one of your mighty soldiers, David. Like, how could you do that to him? Like, how could you? How could you hurt him that way? For 40 weeks, she, char- she carries the child of a son who wasn't her husband's. And then because of David's sin, she loses that child. That child dies. Can you, can you see her suffering? Her purity, her family, even her lineage ripped away all because the king wanted her. Like if this was you, could you forgive the king? What if this was your daughter? Because Eliam was also one of David's mighty soldiers. Her dad, also one of David's mighty soldiers. So I think a hard question is, hey, where's God's sozo for Bathsheba? Where's his salvation? Where's his restoration? Where's his healing? And I think, I want to just kind of share a hard reality that Pastor Clayton shared last week. For some, God's acts, God acts sooner than we imagine. I mean, for sometimes there's the miraculous story of when you pray for healing and healing happens right there in that moment. Or you pray for restoration of a, of a relationship and it happens in that moment. Or you pray for an addiction to be broke and it happens in that moment. Like, like David's story, he repents and he's forgiven right there in that moment. But for others, God asks us to wait until he returns. Sometimes God sows or his healing takes time. Sometimes it's an everyday battle. And it looks like we have to learn to, to, to lean on God every moment of every day. One thing that's true for all of us, though, is God's promise of restoration in Jesus is certain. It's a guarantee. It's a promise. God keeps his promise. And though it seems slow or it hurts, it's going to come. That's Advent. It's coming. Her story looks like this. Is she's going to have another child. And this child will have two names. And I, I, I love how the Bible does, naming, does names. Because they don't name people things based on what sounds cool or what's culturally relevant or what has the best spelling. If you've read any of the Bible, spelling's rough in the Old Testament. They named people based on like what was coming, how they experienced God or what their character was. This baby had two names. The first one is Solomon. It's derived from the word shalom, which means what? Peace, completeness wholeness, restoration. The other one is Jedediah. And this is what it means. Beloved by Yahweh. So every time they see this baby, they're reminded that they have God's peace, that they've been restored with God. They have completeness with God. They have wholeness with God, but also that they're loved by God. And I think the the ultimate sozo, the ultimate healing is that Jesus actually comes through Solomon and Bathsheba. God's plan of redemption and salvation came through their pain and David's sin. 
God brought it back. See, the, I, I, I love watching, uh, there's, a, there's a, an app called The Bible Project. Anybody heard of The Bible Project? It's phenomenal. I love it. They have a video called The Test. And in this video, the main idea of this is that in every test that we face, there's either an opportunity to trust God or a trap to choose ourselves. Right? If you think about every test that you face in following Jesus, there's either an opportunity to trust God or a trap to choose your, your own way, right? Bathsheba's pain came from David failing his test. Which test? The test to love your neighbor as yourself. You know, some, for some of us in the room, like some of our greatest pain that you've experienced comes from somebody failing their test. Not God failing his but people failing theirs, people failing theirs. And I want to, I want to take a moment and maybe looking at Bathsheba's story and pain is maybe too close to your experience. Maybe you're here and you've been taken advantage of, you've been betrayed, you've been hurt. Um, or maybe you just sit in the spot where it's, you're in a really tough place where it's really hard to forgive. And I, I want to tell you, I'm sorry. For some of us, we, we can't move beyond that because we're waiting to hear those words. And the truth is you may not hear those from the people that, that hurt you. But I want to tell you, I'm sorry. And I want to tell you that God sees you. He sees you. He knows your pain. And he hadn't left you. I want to read you a couple verses. Psalms 34 verse 18 is written by David. And he says this, he says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescued those whose spirits are crushed. Listen, David wrote majority of the Psalms. That's another highlight reel for David. And even David understands this, like, hey, like if you walked in the room and you're crushed, if you walked in the room and you're brokenhearted, listen, God is near to you. He's surround, I, I love that the Holy Spirit's called the comforter. What does a comforter do? They wrap their arms around people that are hurting. They comfort. You know what I mean? And, and David writes in Psalms 34 that God is close to the brokenhearted. Like he rescues those whose spirit are crushed. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, that God blesses those who mourn for they will be comforted. Listen, this, this is the context. Jesus is, this is the Sermon on the Mount. This is the Beatitudes. And Jesus is talking about people that live in this new kingdom that he's ushering in. And in this new kingdom, he's saying, listen, if, if you're crushed, if you're mourning, if you're brokenhearted, you will be comforted in God's kingdom. You know what I mean? And, and, and if you're in pain this morning, this I hope that you walk out of this room knowing that God has not left you. God has not turned his back on you. He has not turned his face from you, but he sees you. He loves you. He still has a plan for you. And he's near. See, I think the hard part about life is sometimes we're Bathsheba, right? We're the victim of somebody's sin. Sometimes we're David, where, where our sin has made somebody a victim. But I think no matter what role we play, Sozo is offered to everyone who turns to the one who's coming. Salvation is offered to everybody that turns to the one who's coming. Restoration, forgiveness, wholeness, 
So for some this morning, today, sozo is forgiveness. For some this morning, it's healing. But for everybody, it's wholeness, completeness, and restoration. And it's why our big idea is our big idea. Our souls are longing for presence, not presence. Why? Because physical presence are here today and gone tomorrow. You know I mean, I love having two little boys, but the reality is if it, like the toys that my boys get at Christmas, we're probably going to get thrown away in four months because they lose interest in it. They add no value to their life. They're like a temporary feel to a, a temporary moment of joy in their life until they get older and the next thing comes around and the next thing comes around and the next thing comes around. But physical presence can't do for you what God can. You know I mean? His presence brings sozo. His presence brings shalom. His presence makes us whole. His presence makes us complete. His presence restores us to right standing with God. His presence brings forgiveness for the sinner, right? David in Psalms 51 asked God, he said, God, remove my sins. God, make me white as, as, as snow. And God does that by sending his son. Through the death, burial, life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, like if you believe in him, you are made white as snow. The Bible says that your sin is as far as the east is from the west. Like there's forgiveness in, in his presence, but it also brings restoration for the sufferer. Because Jesus stepped into the pain uh, of those who had suffered as well. well. How? He was beaten physically. He was betrayed socially. He was executed publicly. Like he entered into our pain so that he can make a path for those who are hurting so that they can know what healing and restoration look like. See, I think it's evident for both the sinner and the sufferer that God wanted to be close, that God wanted to make a way, that God wanted to restore and heal. And listen, all of this was brought at the first advent, like through the, uh, through the birth of his son and through his life, there is completeness, there is wholeness, there's restoration for those who sin for the villains. And there is healing for those who have been sinned against, the, the victims. That's the first one. But as Jesus followers, we eagerly await the second advent, right? The time when Jesus comes back again. Why? Because that's when sin and death are completely gone. Right? I like how the Bible describes it in Revelation where he says there's no pain, there's no tears. Why? Because the old ways will be gone. So I want to read Rich Velotis' quote again. Pastor Clayton read this last week and I just think it hits right at home. The good news of Advent is not that we're faithful in our waiting because we often aren't, but that God is faithful in his coming. Listen, Jesus came at just the right time is what the Bible says. And he's coming again. He's coming again. So whether you're David this morning and you're in a whole or you've hurt somebody, or you're Bathsheba in your deep pain because of what was taken from you or what happened to you, whether you're a sinner or you're a sufferer, whether you're a villain or a victim, his presence is for you. And it's available for you. And because of that, you can be new, you can be whole, and you can be restored.
So as we get ready to close, maybe you're here and you're like David. Yeah, I think the beauty of that is God's love for David didn't change. His plan for him didn't either. But it's because David turned back to him. Maybe you're here and you're like David and you've gotten in that spot. Man, maybe, maybe during this time of worship, it's God, I run to you. God, please don't remove your presence. God, please forgive me if I've grieved your spirit. God, I just want you. I want you in my life. Maybe you walked in the room and you're Bathsheba. And you've just got some deep wounds and some deep scars. I just want to tell you, at the end of service, we're going to have people that are ready to pray with you. Listen, life is so much easier when we do it together, when we run together. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you use imperfect people. God, I thank you for the life of David. God, it's easy to to look at David and see that you describe him as a man after God's own heart or, or he slays giants or he writes the majority of the Psalms and be like, God, like I can't, I can't measure up to that. But then you show us that just you show us just how human David was. That even those that were mighty in the Bible had the same temptation to choose themselves over you. God, and I love that you show us that if we turn back, God, that you forgive us. You don't abandon us. You don't turn your face from us. You don't leave us, but you forgive us. But God, I thank you for stories like like Bathsheba. God, I hate her pain. I hate that she went through what she went through. But I love that you stay close. God, and, and you step in the gap where oftentimes we fail. God, I pray for healing for those that have wounds this morning. In your name we pray. Everybody sit.